0: Please pronounce your name correctly for me.
1: Yes, my name is Moren Broadback.
0: And you are based in Geneva, but you've traveled and studied in various places. So something I'm always interested with creative people is basically how do they get made? So was it a parents, a relative, something in school? Like how did you even get to find yourself in the creative industries?
1: Well, first of all, my dad is an architect and he has a bit of a artist side to him, even though his job kept him so busy that uh, he, he he stopped for the years to create. But when I grew up, I was raised in a, an old farm on the ground floor apartment of an old farm. And my dad had his studio over there. And I grew up, since he was the 70s, he was doing those uh, kind of painting on cardboard, uh, cardboards and that he would cut and then do sup- uh, superpose them uh, and put them on top of each other so it was very kind of poppy colorful artwork and I was hanging out there and I guess that kind of sticked with me so I always uh, did uh, you know drawing and painting and collage and cut out things and then when I became a teenager I became really interested in photography and film so I started to do photography. I went to college. I went, uh, which is high school. It's called college here. I did a degree in, <laughs> you know, I did a degree uh, international in, standards. Yeah. So my high school I registered as a, a art student. So I did. A, it was a regular high school, and on top of it, we had all these uh, art classes. So it was in visual art, and that's where I started photography. There was a lab in the school and uh, a friend of mine who was older in all the classes learned how to develop, you know, film and photo and all that. So he showed it to me. And that's how I started, actually, thanks to this friend. And then I became more and more interested in uh, photography and video. It was the beginning of video where you could actually acquire your own uh, chemiscope, as they called it, right? and i started i started like that very simple and very you know as a kind of a flow process and i got really really interested into video and film so when i graduated i decided to to do a film school and i looked around in europe i was not so pleased with the programs in europe because they were very theoretical or mathematical And I did apply to go to Belgium to one of the famous schools in Brussels, which was a three or four-year program. And then there was a huge exam over there. So basically, the exam consisted of going there, doing an exam, waiting a week to see if you pass. After a week, if you pass, you do another exam, and that was going on for four weeks. So... I thought, okay, wow. what the heck, I'll I'll do that. Before going to Belgium, I I was sitting outside on a coffee shop and I saw a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who actually is a cameraman, and he filmed my first video because my first video was a competition I applied I won, so I got a crew to film it, and that's how I met him. And he had just come back from Vancouver, uh, BC, Canada, and I told him, oh, I'm going to go to film school and I'm going to, you know, do the exam to enter there in a couple of weeks. And he said to me, you're going to Belgium? No, 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 no. You have to go to Vancouver. There's a great film school. It's awesome there. I loved it. It's fantastic. So I applied. And I didn't get the response. So I went to do the first exam in Brussels. And when I looked at the program and there was, what, over a thousand people in a room doing the exam, and they would accept only three <laughs> foreign students. And it was it was like first of September. It was pouring rain. It was freezing cold. I was like, "Oh no, this is not for me. This is way too depressing." <laughs> so, I spent a couple of days there, and then I came home. And then I got my letter that was accepted uh, in Vancouver, and I went to Vancouver. And that's how I started.
0: And now you're currently, so like I look through your website and of course I listen to your podcast as well. So you have a podcast or actually you seem to have multiple podcasts that you seem to blend (laughs) together. And then, and then you have, but you're also a practicing photographer. I saw um, video installation, audio, you seem to have a a number of different things that you sort of uh, blend together and work between
1: yeah, it's very multidisciplinary because what interests me really much is, and I think this is still based on the idea of movie making and filmmaking and cinema as the blend between imagery and sound and the stories that are in between. So whether it's a video or an installation, it's what interests me the most is is this relationship between the still image, the moving image, the sound, uh, what we can do with the sound, how we can stretch it, what we can do with the image, what, how we can stretch the image and how we can play with all this. And that's very filmic to me because when you go to the movie theater, you have the story, the visual and the sound. So I also did projects that included smells, you know, more of installation that you can touch, but I'm not an expert in those, although I I really enjoy it and have fun with it, but it involves a bigger, more complex project to do. I like to do things that are immediate that I can do myself.
0: Okay, so you talked about how like big and and some of these things are quite large scale that I noticed. Now, my podcast that we're listening to here is based on the idea about how to sort of be a uh, smart, I, I want to say business person but that's not really what i mean but it's like how to navigate all the different avenues of the arts industry in yeah. order to try to be more successful in it and so like when i hear like performance art installation art even films for that matter i'm all my thing is i always sit back and i'm like how do you find the f- funding for some of these things because some of them are very expensive to pull off very time consuming whether it's you know needing of a studio space to prepare things or whether it's like just the raw materials for stuff like now in europe here it's a little bit different so i was raised and taught in the united states so like how do you do it here so is it grant writing is it uh, residencies is it sponsors like how do you do it how do you accumulate? the necessary stuff?
1: Well, there's the traditional path and the path that is the most sought after, I think, which is not the one I took uh, at all, actually. But I think for like young people coming out of school, if they wanna go through the traditional path, they would go apply to residencies. Right after school, I think those are very important. I did never do residencies because I did not apply to them because I have a family. So I'm, I'm not interested in being away from my family. And there's the business aspect of it that you raised. So there's a lot of things to answer about what you just said, actually, because I think to my perspective, artists are uh, have to be business people. We have to be entrepreneur. I think this this idea of uh, the artist just creating art and waiting uh, for uh, the 10 most amazing galleries in the in the world to grab them and 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 you know do everything for them is uh, kind of cute right but even if that happens you still want to be in control of your career and you still want to be in control of your art and what happens to it so I think it's very important to treat being an artist as having a business in a way because this is the world we live in we can decide to live outside of the society but if you wish to live in the society this is the world we live in and I think sometimes artists don't take don't take art as a serious business but it is a serious business in a way
0: most artists think of it as this beautiful, romantic idea of a way to not have to sit in an office in a cubicle and be able to ex- be expressive yeah, and all which this. which it stuff, is, right?
1: It is awesome. It is awesome. on that yeah. like
0: 10% of my time where I'm actually in the studio versus <laughs> the, the rest of the time where I'm doing all the business yeah. stuff and the grant writing and the research and yeah. the podcasting yeah. and all the other things that you have to do yeah. these days.
1: Yeah, I think what's important is to be able to keep a practice, a daily practice where you can create so you can feel satisfied with uh, with yourself, with your work, and you know it's moving forward. But I think things change when you start to really treat your practice as a serious business. as uh, you, you are an entrepreneur. At the end of the day, you decided to work for yourself and not work for anybody. You decided to have a studio that costs money. Anything you use for your work costs money. I use photography, so this is even, you know, top of the line expensive. Photography is not a cheap medium. And, uh, well,
0: my background is photography also. So, so <laughs> actually, I, I can I can see in the background, yeah, well, I can see in the background you got like a super boom and a ring flash and a couple of other things in your studio there. Yeah. Which, which is an interesting thing that sort of I think about because when I moved to... Europe, I decided not to own any equipment anymore because a lot of times it just sits there unused and I'm basically, I'm paying for it and it's just losing value basically on the resale market. So I chose to actually sell off all my equipment and now if and when I need equipment, i actually rent on the daily basis.
1: Yeah, actually, I have old equipment, actually, I should renew uh, once and uh, but it's been it's been working. Though <laughs> you know, I have it for almost 20 years now. And and it's w- working perfectly. So I don't see the use of changing it. I'm always looking what's happening. And I'm always wanting to make my life easier by acquiring equipment that I that I use regularly. But yeah, I think the problem with big installation is the same thing as a creating a movie. It's a lot of pre-production work. It's a lot of grant writing. It's a lot of finding the money. And that that is fun in a way, although I am not a big fan of it. But preparing a big project is fun. But grant writing, I absolutely dislike it. Especially that you have no clue if you're going to get it, right? <laughs> That's why I'm trying, trying more and more to do things that I can do just by myself.
0: Yeah, I mean, the granting system, it exists everywhere in the world. But it's, it's such a, a, you know, my personal opinion, it's a very flawed system, you know, it because you can apply with the exact same thing to five different grants, and some people will love it, some people will hate it, Mm -hmm. but and, and, and you don't know why one loved it and one hated it they don't often give feedback uh, constructive to help you do better that's my my mm. issue with the system is you like i know somebody who wrote a grant to a residency that f- and the first year they said no so she applied again the next year basically the same grant didn't change it very much said no third year they applied and they said yes and then she asked them she said why did you agree to this one when it was pretty much the same as the all the previous three years Mm -hmm. and they said because we just wanted to see the you had the tenacity to apply three times
1: that's administrative bullshit i think
0: well that's sort of my point is like that's a bit flawed because it was the exact same grant. oh i've heard that many times
1: actually it's not the first time i hear it at all i think it's a it's a it's probably a paper pusher point to make (laughs)
0: I mean, I get it sort of philosophically that they want to see that a creative person really has the drive to continue to push on their their belief of their project and all this, and I get that, but they could just like ask a couple more questions and we could sort mm-hmm. of express that we're that passionate and that intent on doing it. You don't have to make us wait three years mm-hmm. and have to write three times to try to get something like that just feels like an inordinate amount of extra work and labor and stress and anxiety on our parts. Like, I mean, how often do we sit around like having written a grant or put in a proposal for something and we just sit there and we're like, did we do it right? Did I do it wrong? Did I miss something?
1: Yeah. You know, being an entrepreneur is even more important because you don't want to be dependent on on people always, on on grants. And you want to be able to, to make your own thing fly uh, the way you want. And it's not easy as an artist. It's got a lot of ups and downs and a lot of in-betweens. And it's, it's hard to be regular. But I think lately the market has changed a lot. And I am following what's happening uh, online a lot with some of the galleries. And especially in the U.S., uh, because they're a bit more forward with this and uh, i think it's great and even this confinement has been bringing a lot of new ideas out i, I think in europe some of the galleries are still very reluctant to sell in work online for example i had discussion where they say oh there's no way we're selling work online and those are not small galleries those are important galleries And they refuse to sell work online because for them, the people have to come and see the work and go through the whole experience. And now a lot of collectors, they, you know, they know the artist because they've seen it somewhere and they're okay with buying the work online. And they don't especially want to go through the whole travel and and they want to have it. And I think that that brings a flow that's very interesting.
0: So now you, I know you have prints available online. I saw those, I believe, even on your own website. Is that correct?
1: Well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'm doing an experience right now with that because I have work in edition galleries uh, that have been selling for many years. And I was thinking a lot of people actually contact me that see my work on those online galleries. And they contact me and they say, do you have work available and or this edition uh, is, is, is gone. Do you still have a print of this? But the work I have me in my studio, the gallery, the gallery kind of, you know, level. So they're not the same price, they're not edition price. So when I tell them, of course I do, but it's rather more expensive, but the format also larger, people are like, oh, they're disappointed, right? Disappointed and they cannot afford it, so I decided to to create uh, small uh, limited editions every quarters, and that fit this kind of price range. And I want to see uh, how that works, how that goes. So I started with that. I have not given it the time it deserves, but it's there and it's it's starting to work. So I'm very happy because. I think there's a lot of people that would like to acquire work, but not spend four, five, six thousand dollars on it. You know, they have a couple hundred. They want something quality, of of quality. They want something they love, and uh, if we can fulfill this, this is great. So I decided to do this, but it's exclusive to my own store. It's called uh, Studio Exclusives, and I made this series. A especially for those but now I have galleries that says oh we want to sell those but I'm like no I can't (laughs) because those are not your price range and I wanted to have them exclusively for the people that want to collect uh, something of me so we'll see where that goes
0: Well, that's a hard balance because the the stuff you put in the gallery have a certain price point of which the gallery takes a certain percentage. When you produce lower priced works, putting that into a gallery makes it more difficult because you're still having to give theoretically that same percentage and you already priced it affordably. But and then the idea that the gallery is still going to take, you know, theoretically about 50 percent from it. You would have to increase that that affordable price to take into consideration that 50%.
1: Yeah. Well, I leave it. You know, this the, the reason why the price are more affordable is because the work is smaller, the finish is mm-hmm. different, even if it's quality, it's not the frames is not the same. And the additions are much larger. So if you want a unique piece, because I do a lot of unique piece, even though it's photography and you can reproduce it, I do a lot of unique pieces. Of course, it's not the same price, right?
0: So. Right. You do editions of like 20 is what I yeah. saw on there, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm fascinated with the issue of sort of pricing and availability and exclusivity and all these kinds of different terminology that goes around between like unique pieces and prints because like I come from a photography background and I have moved away from pure photographic printing into more unique pieces as well Mm. over the past maybe five years and so the issue of like I was taught pricing for photography which always is questionable in and of itself with edition sizes and all this kind of stuff because some people love the sort of uh, a priced uh, nature of editions. some people don't love the the nature of editions, and they really want unique pieces yeah. so like how do you come to pricing stuff like we're right here I'll give you a very specific question <laughs> on that. I've heard stories about people so traditionally the idea is an edition is all the same price but I've heard things about like number one through five is a certain price and then number six through ten they yeah. increase the price and then sort of basically as there's less on the market the price gets higher yeah do you do you do that
1: I don't do that no pricing came to me I know there is pricing is very difficult for artists uh, because I've I've been in many of these discussions for me it was never so much of an issue because when I started doing art I had a solo show uh, fairly fast and the galleries decided on the price, and because I had no clue, I said sure, and <laughs> and this is how this is how I started with my pricing. And then for the edition galleries, it, it was also a set price. So I then I just adapted, you know, I said okay, now I do a single print, uh, so it's a bit more expensive. I do something smaller, it's a bit cheaper. I adapted it a bit that way but I'm always discussing price with the gallery
0: okay I have a question within your editions that you run your exclusive editions so you have an edition of 20 available online have you already printed all of those and they're sitting in your studio or do you basically print them as people purchase them
1: yeah so I offer two solutions basically Um, people can just buy the print with no frame So I make it here in my studio. I bought the paper that I need for that. So it's here available. If someone needs to print, I print it. I have, of course, a couple of them printed, but I keep them more for, you know, I do little parties in my studio. So every time I do something a bit new or maybe not every time, but I invite friends and we have some drinks and cocktails and I invite people that want to see my art. So I print a couple you know, things for these occasions. And to also, when I have studio visits, it's always good to have uh, things to show. My role is available here. And for everything that is framed, I'm ordering it online. So I have a partner that prints and frame. I know it's good quality and they ship it directly to the client.
0: The the question I was trying to ask is basically like, do you sort of, invest the money in producing the entire print edition no, no, no. and then wait for it to sell or do you no. sort of print as sold kind of thing
1: no i'm printing as sold i will okay. do it differently because my next uh, edition will be risographs so there i will mm-hmm. i will uh i will have to wait
0: did you buy a risograph
1: machine no i did not i I'd, I'd like to because i love i love them and uh, But, you know, then what do I do with this? Because they're a bit cheaper to make and because I'm not making them myself, I will have them all made and then I will store them here. But uh, so for in that occasion, yes. But if it's something I can print here, I have a big uh, professional printer. So if I can print it here, I'll print it here.
0: Okay. So, okay, let's get back to like the bigger, grander scheme of like how to be an entrepreneur and be a business person and be creative and all these kinds of things simultaneously. What have you come up with as your way? Because it sounds like you've got uh, sort of your unique original pieces that you put in a gallery. Then you also have your prints that you have available for sale, but then you also create films and installations and performances. So... How do you sort of juggle the income slash expenditures of that whole thing?
1: Very badly, <laughs>
0: uh, as we no, all I do. Mean, unfortunately,
1: I'm, I'm trying to keep. I'm not. I'm not a good. I'm trying, but I'm not a very good. I'm an artist, right? I'm. I'm not an awesome business person, but I'm trying to keep learning. For me, that's that's the most important to learn more about it. I also think that. As a society in general, we are, I'm not even going to say badly trained, but we are not trained at all on money and finance at all. Nobody.
0: Oh, finance people and people in finance are trained in it, but they keep it a secret and they don't teach everybody else.
1: Yeah. And it's not their job to teach. Maybe it's the school job to teach, you know? So I'm training myself in that to understand how society works because I'm not going to change society by myself, and society is not going to change uh, tomorrow. So I want to understand how everything works. So I'm constantly learning because I don't want to be stupid and just you know whining in my uh, own studio on the floor. And you know I want to I want to be on top of it. So I'm I'm trying to keep you know a good business running here. I also do commission work, so this is something that I quite enjoy doing for uh, private collections and company collection or or just private people collection, and these are really, really fun to do.
0: Wait, 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 slow down. Hold on. I've never heard of this. Go ahead. What do you mean? So a private foundation or a collector will come and commission a piece from you?
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, collectors I've heard of doing that, but foundations will do that. No, so not like foundations. Like companies,
1: companies that have an art yeah. collection.
0: They commission works.
1: Yeah, they commission work. I was commissioned by an insurance company, uh, the vaudois Insurance, through an art historian to create pieces for them.
0: How did that come about? Was it through a curator? So it sounds like you said through a historic an art yeah. historian that you yeah. knew kind of thing. So like, that's not something that people can approach. Like I couldn't call up that insurance corporation and say, like, hey, would you like me to commission a piece for me? It has to be through a connection or some sort of respected Yeah, usually it's
1: for a collection. I I would say, you know, the problem for artists is exactly right there, is that you have to be discovered. This is how the game works. But then some... If you don't have the right connection and you're not at the right place at the right time, you're not discovered. So... Set aside this and set aside the fact that those people are hard to find. It's not easy to know which curator or which art historian is taking care of a collection. But once you know it, I think it's a good thing to contact them.
0: So it's worth if you can find out who that person is in charge of a corporate collection or something yeah. like this, that, that sort of at least just getting yourself on their radar basically.
1: Yeah, because peop- I don't think. You know everything works with connection, and if you have someone that just reaches out to you, you don't you have no clue who they are. you have no reference, nobody you know knows them. they're not gonna think so that you the next upcoming you know biggest artist in the world, but it doesn't matter because if you can keep the relationship for one year, two year, three years, and then the people say, "Oh, they did this they did oh they were working with this gallery that's interesting, you know. It takes time. It takes time to develop any business. And we are a business, right? Indeed. So, yeah. So it takes time. And it's. I think what's important is not, you know, galleries, museums. Everybody needs art. And they all need the artists. And it's, it's a true exchange. And it's so much more fulfilling to work with people that you're on the same wavelength. You know, not to just say, hey, I'm an artist, look at my work. How about you show my work? Because I want to have a show and your gallery is kind of cool, you know. It's more about building a true relationship because it's so much more fun when you can exchange really your passion and why you do art with someone that kind of gets it and can contribute also. So it is really building relationships and when you have great relationship, everything's smoother and everything is fun, right?
0: Absolutely, but it's, it's one of those difficult things of like – Building those kinds of really good, strong, yeah. professional relationships is basically like trying to find a spouse. I mean, it, it's <laughs> it's more or less, it's, it's like dating and it's yeah. like, yeah. And, and, and you have to sort of play those little dances and, and sort of woo one another and seduce one another in their own, in our, your own professional manner. But it's it's difficult. You know, a lot of people think like artists can just sell at any gallery, but it, it's at least not at a sort of a good relationship gallery kind of thing where you're building the careers, both the gallery is building the artist's career, but if the artist is getting stronger and better then they're also building the gallery's career. So it's a mutually beneficial relationship if done well and correctly. But it's the fact that basically there are a lot of bad codependent relationships out there instead of healthy relationships. And we need to build more of these healthy relationships.
1: Yeah. And, you know, I think that as artists, we can be very insecure and we have to really remind ourselves constantly that if we reach out and we don't have the response that we expect or that we wish for, that we don't take it personally. And I mean, I'm saying that, but I'm the first one that takes it personally. (laughs)
0: That's right. And I will say that to my students, but yet I will take it very personally if I don't get responses. Yeah,
1: because I think it's just the the, being sensitive is part of our nature and being affected. Our work is not just a, a business report we put out.
0: Yeah, I'm not producing a, a widget that I'm just selling an object. I'm selling something that's an expression of me. It's yeah. defines me as a person and I mean yeah. so many different aspects of that um, that it it's very difficult. I mean, yeah. anytime you write a grant or put a proposal out or even just email some curator or something, it it it, it sort of gives me nightmares of like, oh god, did they like it? Did I, did I come off as too much of this or not enough of that? Did I not mention this important thing that like, oh shit. And it's just it's it's very different than the average business. You know, the average business is they have a product and they're they're all they have to do, which I mean I know I'm breaking it down to be too easy, but basically all they have to do is figure out who their clients are and suffice and put it in front of them and it will sell. The art world is so much more than that. It's, it's relationships. It's all this kind of, and and then one of my biggest things, which unfortunately I talk too much probably on the podcast about is it's not just about making relationships, but it's about nurturing and building and then expanding those relationships over long periods of time, which is hard because a lot of us are very aloof and kooky and flight of fancy and we don't keep up with people we don't we're not often great at that maintenance and building and nurturing but we love we love our friends and our, our you know peers when we see them but when we don't see them oftentimes we're a bit distant
1: yeah that's true and sometimes relationship they just grow apart right and sometimes they meet 20 years later and it's great i also think that you know you mentioned that it's it's not like we do a business that we have a product to sell. But sometimes if we detach a bit ourselves from our emotional attachment to our work and say, okay, this is a great product for sale, it's it would be easier for us, maybe also.
0: I would love it if I could just be like, Okay, I've made this beautiful thing and now I want to pitch it to IKEA to have them sell it. Like mm-hmm. that if I could feel comfortable more or less like selling out and commodifying it into a simply a product and not a sort of an expression of, of a, you know your emotions in some ways that sounds really great because that could give you the financial stability to then be able to have the freedom to do more work yeah so it's a very difficult balance of you know how how commercialized or how How much business do you put into your creativity versus creativity?
1: Yeah, and I think society in general has decided that artists should stay poor, which is a a tall, romantic idea of the poor artist in his studio, living of people dropping bananas in his... I don't know, (laughs) you know?
0: I have a great disdain for the term starving artist. I mean, because you never hear of a starving lawyer, starving doctor... But yet, starving artist is fine. Like, that's not fine.
1: Yeah, and some people praise on that. And I think that's really diminishing the the importance of the work and the importance of art in society.
0: Well, I mean, if you go to any doctor or lawyer's homes or offices, guess what they have on the walls? They have our art.
1: Yeah, of course.
0: So why are we starving when they're buying what we produce? That's just ridiculous.
1: Yeah. So see, there's lots of work to do on that and lots of work from the artists uh, themselves, I think, to realize the value of what they create. And it is hard to do, especially if you try to get a gallery and get rejected, try to get a grant and get rejected and still value your art. And that's that's a really tough thing. That's a very tough thing to do
0: it is but the tenacity like we said with the having to apply for something three times like sometimes that's just what is necessary yeah like i knew a gallery in washington dc and i don't know if this was true or just rumor but that they used to they would find an artist that they like and then they would put a little file aside and they would basically follow their career for 10 years before they would approach them to Uh, be part of the gallery
1: they want to know you're going to be there for the long run, right?
0: That's right. Yeah, because a lot of young artists fall into some whatever, some financial issues, some family matters, some job-related things that they stop making works. Yeah. And so, like, these galleries didn't want to invest in the, those potential losses in the end. So they would wait for 10 years and see if they were still producing after 10 years before they would re- potentially represent them.
1: Yeah, because they look at their business in the long run, and that's why you ha- we also have to do this, look in the ro- long run. And...
0: and don't get me wrong, that gallery has now been in existence for more than 40 years, so like mm. they've done something right.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a big risk and a big cost for galleries. Every, everybody has to be very con- conscious of that, and that that's why galleries are very specific with the artists they pick. It has to really fit, you know, their pull of artist. It has to fit their objectives, and um, we have to realize as artists that we, it's really a business collaboration, also not just an artistic. We like it, we feel emotional about it, uh, you know. It's it, it's a real business, it's a real uh, partnership, a real growing together, a real. All this, and sometimes it doesn't go both ways. Sometimes it's the gallery that doesn't, you know, see it that way, the I mean, relationship
0: case, grows apart.
1: Yeah, every everything's possible, and every case happens, right? It's it's not which all human beings. I, I think it's important for artists to really value their work and and value who they are and how they see their work and how they talk about their work.
0: Okay, speaking of talking about their work, so you also have a podcast, which as I said, seems yes. to have like, like it's. I can't tell if it's separate podcasts or one podcast that have th- sort of three different versions kind of thing. So clarify not, yeah. not only what your podcast is, but like, why did you even get to the point of deciding to create a podcast about it?
1: I have two podcasts that are under the same label. It's a project called Raw and Radical. And the two podcasts are those one. There is one uh, where I have conversation with women in the arts, extraordinary women in the arts. It's called On Display. And the other podcast is called Private View. And those are my personal minutes of me talking about art and trying to be as open as I can to give, I mean, I, I would say advice, but I don't want to be saying that I know better than anyone else I'm just saying through my career and through my ups and downs I've learned a lot and whatever I've learned I wanted to share so maybe it can help people you know so I talk about alienation isolation creation and uh, all these kind of things
0: well, it helps people, also creative people, not maybe not feel so alone in some exactly. of their yeah. issues. Like, because it's really easy to sit in the studio and be like, "Oh my God, nobody likes my work. I'm horrible." You know. So just hearing that other people are going through the same thing or similar things is yeah helpful.
1: The reason why I created Raw and Radical is because I wanted to be able to share what I've learned. And for my career, uh, to be helpful and to inspire other people, especially women, to keep creating and to not letting creation go. I had a lot of friends that are excellent artists that stopped creating art because they had a family or stopped creating art because they didn't have any money and they needed to make a living. And I think a lot of us are creating in isolation, not only in the fact that we isolated in our studio when we leave, but socially isolated if we are not born and raised in a family that understand arts around friends that really understand art or that we married somebody that understand what it is to be an artist we can feel very lonely and I also think that this is this is a very deep belief that I have that if we want to change the world and make the world a better place we have to look really deep inside and listening to our hearts and soul and be able to create from that place. And I think this is one of the only way to, to really stop all the world struggles we have. And I think that if everybody had the opportunity to really create from the heart and from their soul and to really live the life they wanted, we would be in a completely different places, yet culture, religion, social constructs make it sometimes impossible. So my idea was to create a place where we can have raw and honest conversation about what it is uh, to be a woman in the arts. Although I'm insisting on the word woman, I have men listeners and I'm very happy about it. But I'm talking woman to woman because some of the issues are slightly different. And women need need a, a stronger voice uh, right now. So
0: oh yes, I've had discussions previously about the issues of specifically um, women who choose to have uh, families and yep. and how it's that that can cause problems because on one hand, like they might take a year or two or more off to raise their child up until a certain point, and then they try to come back into the industry, and the industry is like. Well, where have you been for the past couple of years? And that's yeah. sort of and that's an issue that theoretically a man doesn't have because theoretically yeah. a man doesn't take that amount of time
1: off to be raising their child. So No, and if you would take the time off, that would be a great sexy romantic time off that this great guy took.
0: I look forward to <laughs> my my wife is in, works in accounting, so I'm expecting her to go back to work and I'll raise the kids. So like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Yeah but like i mean because i had the experience similar to it because i lived in uh, the united arab emirates and there were sort of restrictions on what i could not could and couldn't do with social media and my websites and things like this uh you know i couldn't show certain things or i would potentially be thrown in prison and lose my job so nice yeah i know so for like six years i couldn't engage with the world and so like my cv has what looks like sort of a six-year gap of of not exhibiting so this (laughs) this idea of not exhibiting or not participating because of like having to take time off for children i sort of get it because i've had a lot of difficulty sort of picking up the momentum and getting back into the art scenes and all this kind of stuff and i understand that concerned that uh, the industry has when somebody takes time away but I mean is is it is it still there like is it still happening okay
1: oh I've heard I've heard it all you know from different people directly indirectly you know I've heard that I cannot be a true artist because I have I have children so, because I cannot dedicate 400% of my time, day and night, to art, I cannot be a real artist. And people still
0: say these kinds of things. Actually, yes, for that matter, have People do. Ev- ever said things like that.
1: <laughs> like, yes, they do. Yes, yes, they do. That's why I think some of the artists are using, you know, they're clever, they market themselves well, and they're using the construct that, oh, you know, we don't even choose our our meal in the restaurant because that takes time away from our art. And I just love this so much because there's so much irony in it. Everybody knows that every single artist has to do things outside of their creation, their art, or they wouldn't, they wouldn't be known or they wouldn't be there. Yes, it still exists. And Yes, it is also a struggle to raise children and be the mother you want to be and do your art. Because it's, it's a back and forth, but it feeds each other. You know, I believe that I'm a good mother because I can create art and do what I love. And who would I be as a mother? mother what kind of example I would show if I hated my life?
0: Yeah. I mean, you, if you weren't able to do your thing, your creative thing, you would then be bitter and angry and then you would you know, pass that on to your children and they would see it or experience it. And therefore your children's lives would be affected because you were unable to do your own thing. Like, I don't under, I mean, you have to understand I come from a reasonably progressive family. So like, I don't understand that. Like to me, if a woman and a man want to both work and or both take time off, whatever, I i don't see these gender things as uh, much as I believe they exist in the mm. world. I, I think I'm a little sheltered on these kinds of things. Like I'm very progressive. I'm perfectly good with women being in charge. All of my best bosses and deans have always been women. I'm I love it. I'm all for it.
1: Yeah. And you know what? What I think is really important is to really We have to always look inside of us to see what is right for us. And it might not be what is right for our surroundings. This is so important to keep with it because peer pressure is there. And peer pressure is a real thing. And when we grow up in a family, we don't realize it because it's the norm it's normal and we don't realize how strong that peer pressure is and and it's it it can really destroy lives i think it has that power so it's really important to keep checking back with ourselves that we feel good with that is is this really where we want to be it's it's not an easy thing it's not an easy thing and okay. i think when you get children you you are more fragile because you have suddenly this human being to take care of you have no clue what to do you have no manual so you are looking around for help you are looking around for advice and you are all ears open and you you can get sidetracked you know easily because it's a fragile moment especially for artists I think
0: Hmm. Along with that idea of the sort of peer pressure and sort of outside expectations and societal norms and stuff, what do you? How do you use uh, social medias and things like this? Do you engage a lot, not enough, too much?
1: Well, <sighs> I am trying to engage as much as I can, and. I think I'm not doing a very good job out of it. I, I want to do more things. I want to do live things. I want to do videos because I really want to be helpful and I really want to inspire uh, people, uh, whether uh, the artists or whether they are people that want to create, but never created before. I I really believe we all have a creator inside of us and that creator wants to be expressed one way or another. So I have lots of plans and lots of ideas. Then I have my priorities, you know, to deal with. And so I'm trying to every month bring out something new. I'm trying trying to be more constant. I'm trying to be more present because I think social media is a great tool that was not there before and now is there and we can do a lot with it. So, Yeah. I'm going to probably come up with new things. I'm already preparing them, but yeah, I have a bit of time missing on my end, especially right now with this confinement, we had to start homeschooling. So that was was not part of the plan and I don't like it at all. That's, that's a problem for me.
0: Yes. There's a, a great appreciation for teachers. I believe is coming in the future.
1: Yeah. And it's not a, it's not a, tough i mean it's not an easy thing it's really tough uh, to do homeschooling for parents especially you have to basically go back to school yourself and you're so happy you're done i i did not like i did a lot of schooling in my life but all the professional schooling i loved but all the mandatory schooling i never liked
0: And they're changing things. Like there's like new math. Like math is done differently than when I was taught math. And
1: yeah, so you have to argue with your kid. You're explaining him how to do it because he doesn't understand. And then he tells you, "Yeah, but we're learning differently, so I can you cannot help me." So it's really tough. And I think we are asking so much more of our kids now. Uh, I mean, the the systems. I don't know where it is where you are, but here the system we are we are liars to our kids. We are totally hypocrites. You know, we were supposed to learn, uh, you know, two languages. They have to learn three. Uh, they have to do things that we did at 15. They have to do it at 10. And we're we basically trying to push them as much as I can to be, I don't know, perfect human being. is
0: Not just perfect, but perfect faster and at a younger age.
1: Exactly. And you know what? I'm questioning that because when I see how this crisis is being handled when I see the amount of non-thinking there is in this. I'm really wondering, did anybody go to school there or is school completely useless? I don't know. I'm I'm questioning it because I think people don't think enough for themselves. And you can see that through social media. You know, how, how much... Brainwash is there through some of the social media with all these fake news and all these I mean I'm, I'm sorry I shouldn't use that term then i I feel like I'm I'm supporting Trump there but I'm not
0: <laughs> oh no it's it's a part part of the vernacular now
1: there's a lot of fake fake things I'm, I'm gonna say it that way on social media and and so many people just follow it
0: yeah, well, unfortunately, most of society is a bunch of sheep and not a bunch of, I don't know what the opposite of sheep are, but like, they're, they're, I mean, most people in many yeah. aspects of their lives are followers, not leaders.
1: Yeah. And school is supposed to teach you how to think for yourself, how to have clear thinking. And I see very little of that. I see very, and, and that's worrisome to me.
0: Yeah, well I come from academia and I I they basically like the standardized testings and the the, the sort of basic sort of neutralization of education sort of thing like where the, you have to learn certain things that are probably oftentimes useless because you're just memorizing you're not actually mm. learning how mm. to learn or how, why you learned but you're simply just regurgitating it, you know facts and knowledge and data and that's not learning learning is learning how to how you came to a result or an answer or exactly, um, exactly. And, yeah it, it, academia because of governments being involved in it and standardized testings and all these kinds of things has unfortunately st- shifted in a way that has made me a bit disillusioned with the general education.
1: Which is very really too bad. I think they're trying to push the kids too much and it's, it's a bit too bad for them. I want my children to have a childhood.
0: Well, but it, it, it's not just the schools that are pushing the kids to like grow up and do all these things and be perfect. I mean, it's social media is doing it too. You know, all You know, back when I was young, of course there were like there were magazines that would come out maybe once a month where you would see some beautiful mm. person doing some, having living some beautiful life but literally through social media these people that your kids are seeing beautiful people living beautiful exotic decadent lives every 10 <laughs> seconds yeah like every single feed is somebody living some beautiful decadent crazy exotic rich whatever life that most of us quite honestly will never be able to attain and reality those people aren't doing it either they're they're, they're constructing these lives to make themselves feel better about themselves but that's a different issue itself so there's a lot of pressure on the young to live a life that is not necessarily going to be sort of that authentic life it's going to be something that's going to be tailored for the government for the testing or for the social media to try and make themselves feel better in ways that are not truly going to make themselves feel whole and happy.
1: So that's why I think it's bringing true content and honest content is so important. And And you know, our role as parents is is really to, to open the children's eyes to who they are and, and how all this works so they can feel good about themselves and really choose for themselves with who they are and not choose because. And artists is, as artists, is the same, I think. You know, we have each our own role in society in bringing some truth. And I think that's really pretty. I'm, I'm very happy about that.
0: And none of our art will ever be perfect. It's always a work in progress.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I often go back and I say, oh, I would change that now, you know. But, yeah, I'm trying to, when I finish uh, some a piece, I'm I'm finishing when I'm really content with it. Then usually I'm content with it for a while, but then I create new. Yeah, you know
0: we all do it i mean you know any exhibition or whatever is basically just a stopping point it just says yeah. i had a deadline so here it's done but i could always go back and continue it or
1: rework yeah. it or
0: whatever as long as i'm alive really
1: of course of course yeah so that's that's the podcast basically <laughs> to, to finish that subject that's what my podcast is about to have a place to belong, you know, and to share ID in a very truthful way. That's why I called it Raw and Radical, because uh, first of all, I think it's time to make a stand uh, in society uh, as women, as artists. And it's time to be real, you know, real with our feeling, with our ideas, and raw too. That's that's what it is.
0: Yeah. All right. Sounds good to me. I I mean, I'm here doing a podcast also and i've titled mine the wise fool so i'm literally sitting here (laughs) saying i am both an idiot and somewhat intelligent so there we go yeah Yeah. i
1: like it
0: (laughs) it seemed appropriate for me because i like i i do know a lot about some things but there are a lot of things that i know nothing about or i have the wrong ideas about And one of those big things, of course, is the arts industry. You know, I thought I knew how it worked until I got to Europe. And I realized that all of my knowledge from America and the Middle East is not relevant here at all. Like everything runs slightly differently.
1: Yeah, change is subtle depending on the culture. And sometimes it's hard to navigate if you don't understand the culture. It's so subtle and it has to do also with the language and... It's uh, working everywhere, but differently.
0: Well, like I spoke to somebody from Finland about writing grants, and they said that um, it should just be very fact based and very humble. And then I spoke to somebody in America about writing grants and they say, oh, no, you need to sell yourself and you need to be a cheerleader and you need to convince people that you're worth, yeah. you know, putting the time and energy and money. In. And so like even just the cultural differences of the nuances of of the yeah. vocabulary that you use and the way you express things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: Well, then I run into other absurd things like that I didn't even realize would be an issue. I tried to find grants or funding that would fund travel. Now there are things called travel grants. Then that sounds perfect. That sounds like that, except I run into travel grants that are like, there's this one country, I'm not gonna call out this country, that offers a travel grant for artists in the country to travel within the country. All right. And that's it. So they can't travel outside the country but they can travel from inside the country to inside the country. That doesn't seem like a travel grant. But even then beyond that, there are – one thing that i wish that would come up this is something okay this is my big dream for the arts industry come up with a consistent vocabulary because i'm so tired because i would look for travel grants and some people call them travel grants some people call them emergency grants some people call them mobility grants some people call them you know some people call them grants some people call them funding some people call them sponsorship come people I really wish that the entire industry could just come up with a consistent set of vocabulary so that we would know what to even look for. Because the internet makes it so we all have access to this stuff. But when the words, the vocabulary, the vernacular is not consistent, we we can't even find a lot of these things.
1: Yeah, that's true. That's true. It's very difficult. Well, I'm not a grant expert there.
0: <laughs> so you don't write grants then, really?
1: I I do, if but honestly not not that much because um, it's taking me too much time for and no
0: guarantee of return. That's that balance yeah, that which, drives which me. Yeah, which which is the
1: game, right? It's 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 the game. You you don't know, but the last project I, I wrote. I, I did get the money, uh, but you, I, I hired Congrats. a writer, actually.
0: That is a question that I keep asking people basically should artists be the ones who are putting the time, energy, and money into doing this, or should we simply just hire professionals to do this on our behalf?
1: In my case, writing takes me a really long time. I'm dyslexic. I think a lot of times, if I want to construct a well, Constructed text, people are not going to get it. Maybe mm. because it makes sense to me, but it might not make sense for uh, people. That's what I've noticed. So I would write the statement, and then have a writer read over it and maybe change a couple things to make it more fluid. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to to maybe put the canvas, uh, you know, put the section what I want to have in each section, and then I work with a writer because. I think it's really worthwhile doing it. Um, the last time I did, I got the money, so uh, that works for I got you then. Different yeah. money from different sources. If I write it myself, usually I realize I don't get the grant, <laughs> so that has to say something.
0: So yeah, so, I mean, but that's to me that's a sort of positive on the idea of hiring other people. So like. I need to try that. I need to find people. That's another thing. Trying to find writers—they're not as easy to find as you might think. But
1: yeah, I think we, it's it's good to have. Uh, I mean, if you go with the idea that you already is your business, then you would want to hire a bunch of people to help you out, and of course, you need to pay them. But it's creating a team, and um, I think I think that's important because we cannot be awesome at everything we do. I mean, maybe some people are, I'm not yeah. awesome. I'm writing for sure. And it's a nightmare for me to write something. It takes me so much time that I I really dislike it.
0: Well, and it's time yeah. away from your studio and it's a time away from yeah. your family yeah. and it's time away from all these other things when you could theoretically, you know, it's that issue of time versus money. like, so exactly. like Most artists have more time than they do money. So... Hiring somebody to write is not always the highest priority.
1: Hmm. That's true. So I think it's a good balance to, to, to really see in the long run what's worth it for each and everyone. But I think, you know, like setting goals and is important and trying to, you know, fulfill all your commitments. And that way you can really be much clearer on where you want to go. Because sometimes just deciding where you want to go with your art is is not easy. It's in a blur when you really think about it, right? Uh,
0: that's a th- thing that has been coming up again and again on this podcast. Is basically sort of the idea of what's a def- what's a everybody's unique definition of success in the arts mm-hmm. world. You know, because mm-hmm. like in other industries, it's kind of cut and dry. Like. If you work in an office, what's the idea of succeeding in the office? It's being the boss or being paid the most. Like it's pretty straightforward. But in the creative industries, you could be respected. You could receive residencies. You could be in institutions. You could be selling consistently. You know, so so consistent income. You could become famous. You could be at art fairs. You could be in the biennales, whatever. Like there's so many different, unique definitions of success. I'm putting in air quotes. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of hard to come up with a consistent business model or business plan because there are so many different sort of goals that we're all trying to seek and they're each unique and individual to all of us.
1: Completely, completely unique, completely individual and not one is better than the other. And I think it's also difficult because it has to do with choosing for our life and our lifestyle. You're right. If you put in an institution and your goal is to be the head of a department, then the goal is pretty straightforward. It doesn't require you thinking about your lifestyle because you don't need to think about your lifestyle because your lifestyle is set. We have to reinvent our lifestyle constantly. I mean, for me, at least, it's a constant reinvention of where do I want to be? Who do I want to be? What do I want to do? Constantly, with every year passing,
0: Yeah. Well, and you have short-term goals and long-term goals and maybe you don't get a short-term goal, but, but you need to get back on track for a long-term goal. And (laughs) like, it's, it's a constantly evolving thing. Like, like when I started this podcast, my idea was to create a quantifiable outcome. I wanted to make it so that if people listen to the podcast that they, that, I was able to achieve a quantifiable outcome, so I would ask everybody about how to achieve this particular goal. But what I've realized is, is that even if I am able to achieve that goal, that doesn't mean anything for anybody else, because mm. just because True. just because one artist can achieve what they chose as their goal does not mean any of that information will help anybody else directly. Yeah. You know, directly and obviously.
1: That's true. Yeah.
0: (sighs) Sad, sad. I want some, I want some standardization, some rules, some guidelines, some consistency to, to make something not a variable. Like I feel like there are far too many variables in the arts industry to be able to take and say like, okay, I've got it under control because then another variable Mm. comes in like
1: it's very free and maybe i don't know maybe it's the way we like it also but it's true that you know sometimes i'm thinking maybe i would i wish i was not an artist i would be satisfied with having a nine-to-five job and i have never thought that that way no oh i have followed many times i would say (laughs) many times i say oh it would be so much easier for me (laughs) I've done it. I've worked in offices.
0: It's absolutely horrible. I hated it. It, it, I felt like my just soul was being crushed every day. Because what ends up happening is is creative people working in offices, they end up getting creative in the office. And office people don't like that.
1: Yeah. I did work one year in an office in my entire life. But that's it. I had moved to the U.S. So I needed a a job with a visa to stay.
0: (laughs) yeah yeah, as they do in the u.s yes
1: it was fun but yeah it was not for me for sure for sure this it's not even a choice but uh, sometimes i think it would be it would be easier because i think it requires a lot of adaptation to your environment it requires a lot of thinking it requires a lot of flexibility and sometimes it's tiring you know it's tiring and uh, you want to stop for a while and settle for a while, but we can at the end of the day, you know, we also, I think we're also putting a lot of rules and pressure on ourselves, maybe too much, maybe too much. And maybe we worry too much because it's so personal. <laughs> I do
0: Well, in the, in the most basic of sense, well, not most basic of sense, but in the art world, our reputation is everything. Yeah. So whether it's our personal relationships that create that reputation, like, hey, I don't like that person, or whether it's our professional abilities, our skills and craftsmanship, whatever, or our concepts that gain some admiration or respect for our craft and our practice, our reputation in the end is absolutely everything. And so like we are constantly editing ourselves and constructing the reputation that we want in the industry, you know, like Mm -hmm. it sounds conniving when I'm saying it like that, but you know, like there are certain things that like I won't do because I want a certain reputation in the industry.
1: It's true. And you know, I think we are so complex. We are so many things. And we are just so many things that we cannot say it all. So we have to choose what we really show to the world. And, and that, that can be a tough one. Uh, that can be a tough oh, one. Oh,
0: creating this podcast was absolutely one of the most nerve wracking choices I've made in a very <laughs> long time. <laughs> Because like the idea of literally putting my voice, my personality, and yeah. my quirks and my my personal history and my my anxieties and my fears literally on record for anybody to judge me for scared the hell out of me. I understand. I'm sure you do with your raw yeah. podcast
1: with my raw podcast where I talk about fear and isolation and that's
0: right. <laughs> yeah
1: good knows what else i'm going to talk about in there
0: i'm looking forward to i'm, I'm planning <laughs> planning some things in the future where we're going to like i'm going to literally have topics where i will choose a topic and talk to a person so like sexism racism politics yeah. like like and i, I want to take on the like the hard ones the ones that are yeah. going to make me like blush and feel really embarrassed to even discuss like those are the ones i want to discuss
1: Yeah, because I think it's important to have the conversation with, you know, how we are taught in our society that we have to agree with each other somehow. And you see it in conversation with friends when there's a topic that the other one don't agree with. They have to find an agreement or they cannot let it go. And we have to remind ourselves that it's okay not to agree. It's okay to disagree and to be open to listening to the other person's opinion and to taking into account this opinion. And people feel very attacked when someone doesn't agree with them. They they take it personally. They feel attacked on a personal level as if the entire value system or the entire their entire thoughts were wrong. The entire ideology were wrong. They need the support of the allies. And we have to learn that it's okay not to have allies. And we have to learn also to accept the other people uh, as they are and that we can still like them and be friends with them if we totally disagree. I mean, on some subject, I would not agree (laughs) in, in the general way. Oh, Yeah.
0: My father's a minister, a a priest, whatever you want to call it. So like, I grew up around people who literally preach for a living. And so Mm -hmm. like the, I am great with all kinds of alternative views. I love hearing different opinions on things, but just don't preach to me. Like, so basically I'm great with anybody telling me their opinion, but just do not have the expectation that I'm going to suddenly have the same opinion.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So,
0: and it should, okay,
1: yeah. it should be okay. Yeah. It should be okay. Yeah,
0: It's perfectly fine. It's it not only fine, but like it's sort of our, our given right that we have an opinion and we should voice our opinion. We shouldn't be not talking about our opinions because of some societal whatever. Like, no, that's just silly.
1: Yeah. And that's why I, I liked about art school because when you have crits, you, you are in this situation of being open and Accepting others' opinion, accepting criticism, and then you go out to the real world and you realize that people are not so much into that anymore. They're competitive. (laughs) Yeah, and that's why the being in an art school is is really great.
0: That's what we need. We we need an art school criticism, like just a studio space and critiques for adults.
1: Yeah, for practicing artists. We just resolved the word problem.
0: Well, at least the artist's problems. <laughs> <laughs> it is yeah, hard.
1: That's uh, important. important. Oh, yeah.
0: It's really difficult. Be, like having been in that sort of, you know, like perfect constructed experience of an art school for artists yeah. to then have to be sort of dropped out of the nest and said, okay, now you're on your own. And the competitiveness and the, 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 just the downward, just like competition that comes in the, into the industry that was not there in art school was very disillusioning when I left school. And a lot of people I know ran into that problem where, you know, art school is supportive and helpful and constructive. And then as soon as you get out, basically everybody else is waiting for you to fail. Hmm.
1: True. Sad. Yeah, yeah. Interesting, huh? I think it's an interesting observation of our society. I think a lot of people are waiting for you to fail <laughs> in a general way, you know? I don't know because it makes them feel better. I'm not sure why. Oh, no, but... that's exactly why.
0: That's exactly, yeah. No, what I mean, think of all the people you know, and are you sitting there going, oh, I so look forward to their success. <laughs> or are you thinking, oh, I can make better work than them, or I should be in that gallery instead of them, or I should be in that exhibition instead of them, or or I have this other friend who makes amazing work who makes better work than mm. that person does. Like We are all catty little bitches instead of supportive.
1: Yeah, but you realize that this is, to me... One of the biggest problems in society, and that's where we are taught completely wrong and we are raised and educated completely wrong in that sense. Because everybody's success, everybody else's success should make us happy and should encourage us. And the more successful people you have around you, the more your chances are to be successful agree yeah,
0: yeah i'm all right? for it i mean they the people who are successful always say the reason why they're successful is because they surround themselves with intelligent and smart and whatever and successful yeah. people that so but it's that competitive nature that there's something in it i don't know where it came from don't know why it's there maybe it's the it goes all the way back to like government school you know the the standardized schooling where like literally they're competing against one another for Marks yeah. and maybe yeah. even yeah. the structure of grading itself is the problem. Who knows?
1: But it is damn interesting, hmm. really interesting to, to observe this and to see where we fit into this. And, and then it's a choice how we want to fit in this or not, or be part of it or not, and keep, keep our line, right?
0: Yeah, it's sort of how far are you willing to go before you lose your soul?
1: And that's valid for every profession, uh, you know. and Indeed, that's, yeah. that's That's a job for everybody on their own to look at themselves and who they are and who they want to be, really. But we are confronted to this on a daily basis. And this is our chance. That's why maybe the artist will save the world. What do you think of that?
0: Uh, <laughs> I, I, I love the idea. We'll see. I don't know times are changing and maybe things will change for the better for us
1: yeah Yeah. now it's an interesting time indeed very interesting
0: i've taken up enough of your time thank you very much for taking time with me
1: thanks a lot